Good morning. Please have a seat. Wow. You know, one of the things for for me and Billy being here for a few weeks with you is seeing the worship team. And every week I come in and I'm just amazed and I'm kind of excited now to see what combinations we're going to have. Because every week there's a different combination and they're just absolutely amazing. And every week, no matter who's here, there is just there's this time where they just take us to the throne room and at the foot of the Lord. And I'm just very, very grateful for everybody. Some are sitting out here today and some are still part of it out here today, but all of our team up here. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for just doing that. I'm Chuck Stecker. I'm the pastor right now at uh, Summit Church for this season. So grateful to be here with you. I want to say thank you for joining us. I want to thank our online folks for joining us, let you know you're just as much a part of it as if you were seated right here in one of these empty seats. But I also want to tell you when you're ready to come back, I think your seat's ready for you, and we'd love to have you. If you're coming here and this is your first time to be with us here at Summit, or it's been a long time and you really don't call this your home, your church home, we want you to know that this service is meant to be a gift to you. We don't expect anything from you. We're not asking you to give or do anything. We're asking you to sit and just hear what God would say to you. Sometimes I say in spite of the speaker, what God would speak to you. If you call Summit your church home, we don't pass a basket anymore. Or We just found it disruptive, frankly, at the end of service while we were in worship and responding. That there are the boxes there. They're available for you if this is your church home. But also you'll find that there's connection cards. Those connection cards are very important to help us get to know you. And if you have a prayer request, you can put it on there, put it in any one of the boxes. And then we've got some other forms of response that we're going to do at the end, and we'll explain those to you. So on behalf of the entire church here, for everyone, hey, thanks for being here. And we're just going to pray and ask God to just bless our time together now. Father, we thank you. We love you and we praise you, Lord. We're so grateful, Father, that we can still come together and worship you with absolute freedom. We can come and we can shout your name. We can raise our hands or we can keep them down, but we can come and worship you, Father. So, Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here and being here in your house, although you're everywhere. We ask now, Father, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you bless the time that we have? Give us the ears to hear, the heart to see. And, Father, your word promises the mind of Christ. And we thank you for that promise, and we take you up on the offer, Father. So we thank you. Now bless us, Father, as we come together in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's sons and daughters said, amen. So thank you for being here. I, uh, again, I'm thrilled. We weren't here last week. My wife and I were actually at a conference for seniors. I'm not one of them uh, yet. I mean, you know, I've got about 15, 20 more years to go. Might as well laugh at that because when the lightning strikes, we're all going. So might as well enjoy that part of it. A lot of you know differently and you know the truth. But uh, bottom line, it's just so good to be back. We actually, you know, it's, um, we've only been here for a few short weeks prior and we get up to this time. And both Billy and I talked about it. We went to church last week there, but we just missed being with you. We really did. And I love being here. And I want to thank each one of you for kind of carving this time out and trusting us again with this part of your day. 
You know, we're starting a new series this today. It's called Open the Eyes of My Heart. And the whole purpose of this series, and I'll kind of give you some clues along the way on where we're actually going to go with this throughout. But this is just kind of a foundational time. We'll use the scriptures and God tells us how we ask the Holy Spirit to open and see with the eyes of our heart. When our eyes of our heart are enlightened. But what we're going to try to do is kind of get a clear understanding of what God wants us to see with the eyes of our heart that we can process through that. I'll tell you in advance next week. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like if I tell you what I'm going to talk about next week, I'm kind of bound to that. A lot of times that hasn't worked out very well. And there's that. But we're going to talk about seeing with the eyes of our heart about what God means for the church. What are we supposed to be as his church? But today we're just going to talk about Holy Spirit. Would you open the eyes of our heart on this? And that's really the title of the message is open the eyes of our heart. The big idea for this for me today is very simple. It's to, it's God's desire for each of us to have the spirit of wisdom and the revelation knowledge of who he is and who he created us to be. And this is foundational because if we can't get that right, it's very hard to build on that. You know, he talks about the, the, the house that was built on sand, right? If we don't know who we are and whose we are, and we know that relationship we have because of that with the Heavenly Father, we don't have a lot to build on on that, do we? And so this idea of knowing who he is and who he created us to be is foundational to everything that we do in our faith. And one of the things that he does here is he wants each of, each of us to open our eyes. Let the Holy Spirit open our eyes and see with the eyes of our heart. Let's go to the scripture that talks about that for us. It's in Ephesians. Now, let me tell you something about Ephesians. Leave that scripture up if you would, please. And they can. So here's, here it is with Ephesians. We generally read things based upon a Roman way of writing that went to England. We get it from there. And what that means is when you read something or in a message, it's supposed to start high and grab you. And then it's going to drop down a little bit. And then it's going to build up and it's going to come to a conclusion that grabs you. An old author wrote one time, when you write a book, you write the first chapter so they'll read the rest of the book. When you write the last chapter, that makes them want to buy your next book. Okay, now that's different than Ephesians. There are several books of the Bible that is not written in the Roman, but the Greek model called the chiastic model, and that was in their plays, that was their writing, and so forth. In the Greek model, if you look at the beginning of something, like the book of Ephesians, everything gets us to the middle, and right in the middle is where the conclusion is. That's the big, that's where God wants us to grab onto this. So what we're talking about today is going to point us toward this centerpiece, and then everything after that reflects back onto what that centerpiece is. Now next week, we're going to use these scriptures again, but we're going to talk about that centerpiece. So know that what God is doing right here. Now, here's a full disclosure. Whether you've heard me speak before or you haven't, let me just lay it out for you, full transparency. I actually believe everything that's written in here is from Almighty God himself. I'm not going to force that on you. I'm just going to tell you in fullness, in fairness to where I'm at, this is God's holy and errant word for me. I believe that when we say the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church of Ephesus and the Ephesians, what I'm really saying is through the divine power of the Holy Spirit, 
God then spoke through Paul to write that divine letter to the church of Ephesus that we now know as Ephesians, to the Ephesians there. So when I read this here, I look at this and everything in this scripture here is to point us to this idea of Jesus Christ and who he is as the Son of God and the Holy Spirit and the power there. He says this, for this reason, I talked a couple of weeks ago that when you really want to know something, this is testable, right? When you hear something here and it says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Let me tell you, that word enlightened, we use the word open because when the eyes are enlightened, what it is is the eyes are opened up, allowing light to come in to be able to see clearly. When the eyes are not enlightened, as we would use that word, things are fuzzy. They're not clear. You know, it's kind of like that clared and clear where you see them and they pull that off and all of a sudden it becomes clear. Well, that's what God is talking about to us here, that the eyes of the heart are opened up. You see clared and clear on this and that the eyes are open fully. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in the saints. Goes on to say, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked, and I could say first in Christ. And this is a great thing because what he's wanting to do in us, he worked through Christ to begin with. You know, it's kind of like he perfected and said, okay, now we can use this thing. You got me on that? Okay. So he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, sealed him, and then at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and and all. He says, all authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's a lot of scripture, isn't it? But you know, sometimes it doesn't hurt us to have more than one verse to get started, okay? In fact, one of the things that I say is, I would hope that here at Summit, what you're going to get a feel for is, it's a big book. Let's use the whole thing. That Old Testament's got a lot of stuff in it that we need that helps us understand the New Testament, and let's bring it together. There's 66 books. They're all really pretty good. They're my favorites, in fact. And isn't it nice that they put them all in one for me to carry as opposed to a satchel of 66? So as we go through this here, we get that. We've got to have a clear understanding, first of all, is who is Paul writing this letter to? Who's it intended to? Well, let's get this. Paul's writing this letter to us. Now, you already heard me say the Holy Spirit, God, through the Holy Spirit, got Paul. He wrote this letter to the church, but he's writing it to us. And what does he say? I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward the saints. Now, Here's something that's, it's difficult for me in a way, okay, but I get, keep, keep getting taught by the Holy Spirit over and over again. Wouldn't it be nice if you read the Bible once and you kind of earmarked that stuff, set it on a shelf and said, yeah, if I ever need to go back to that, I could, you know? I don't know about you, but for me, 
This, when we talk about the living word of God, right, which means is I can read the same scripture, you know, different times in my life and through, and every time God teaches me something different in it. A lot of it has to do with the place that I'm at. I feel like God just uses that, and then all of a sudden he takes this scripture that I've read and thought I understood, and then he applies it to me over here and just kind of knocks my socks off, okay? Well, this is one of these. Would you put that, that slide back up so I can see that one more time, please? Same slide, thank you. Two things that he says, and he kind of, kind of hits me with this, our faith in Jesus Christ and our love for the saints. Ready? Wow. So do you mean to have faith in Jesus Christ means I have to learn to love? Any of you struggle with that? I mean, besides me. Any of you struggle with that on a driver coming over here because your faith, you knew you had to get to church, but your love for the driver that just cut you off or on C-470 was doing 90, right, going around you and using the express lane to pass and all of that? Did you struggle with love in that situation, or am I the only one? Okay, we'll let that go. I don't need hands on that. But here's the part of what he's telling us is, isn't it this, that, you know, that our faith, right, has to result in love. Now, let's get something right on this. Sometimes, and that's why the Greeks had so many words for love, because they can identify different aspects. We have word love, and sometimes people get uncomfortable. They hear two guys go, man, I love you, man. And they go, that's about as goofy as it gets. And no, it really isn't. It's really true if it's meant and sincere, because what he's saying is, when we tell somebody we love them, and I know there's the different loves, and the love I have for my wife as my wife is different than if I would say I love you and I love you being here. But here's the deal. Love is not an emotion. Love is a decision on how you're going to treat another person. And people said, I just find it so hard I couldn't possibly love that person. I said, yeah, you could. You just haven't decided you would do it. You just haven't decided you would love them, which really means to me that if our faith is supposed to respond in love, it means that we are to honor and respect others in that. We don't have to like their political position. We don't like to have like things. You don't have to like the way they're dressed or the way they make their coffee. You understand? That's not what love is. This here, our faith is, to res- is going to move us to respecting and honoring the other person because didn't we just say they're a child of God too? Okay. So he says, though, that it's going to be love toward the saints, then in that. But then he says, and he continues with this, he continues, and as a result of that, he's going to tell us two things. And that is what? He continues to give thanks for us and continues to pray. Wow, now wait a minute. If you read this at the beginning, he said, man, you're already there. Oh, yeah. I've heard about your love for the saints. I've heard about your faith. You're there, right? But he said, but I'm continuing to pray for you. Well, is that just for Chuck Stecker? Is that just saying, I'm okay for today? Maybe I'm not even okay for today. Maybe I've got it till I walk out of church. But by him saying, and that word continuing to pray, saying that we're all subject to stumbling, aren't we? In our humanness, there is that aspect of it where we're all subject to that. And so when we say we're continuing to pray for you, we're continuing to pray God continues his work, we're really saying we're continuing to pray that you're obedient to God's word, right? (laughs) Because I always get it and say, well, I just pray that God would continue his work in you. Well, here's a newsflash. God's going to continue his work in you. That's never been an issue. The issue is, as God is continuing his work in you, are you going to be obedient to it? That's what the real issue is, isn't it? And so he says this because he's really telling us, I I don't really care where you're at. 
or how good you think you are. We all need continuous prayer. We all need to be together on this. And then he doesn't end there. Then he gives us a so that. Now, wait a minute. So he set us up here, and he's told us all these good things. He's continuing to pray for us. But now he hits us with the so that because it's leading to what? So that the Father of glory, right, may give you two things, two things. He wants us to have the spirit of wisdom. Now, understand, wisdom is knowledge applied. There's a lot of people out there that have a lot of knowledge, and they can't tie their chew, shoe and chew gum or anything, and you don't trust them to drive cars. But they got a lot of knowledge. You've been around people. No matter what you say, they give you some facts on it, right? You go, boy, that guy's... And we will mistake and say, boy, that guy's smart, right? No, he's not. He's just got a lot of knowledge, and most of the time he doesn't know what to do with them. But what God is telling us, and all through the book of Proverbs, he talks to us, it's wisdom that God desires for us. He wants us to have the knowledge, that revelation, knowledge of who he is and who we are. But that gives us wisdom then on how then should we act? How then should we live? And he says, in the revelation knowledge of him. So we get this wet, and the revelation knowledge of him. And that him that he's talking about is through Jesus Christ, right? And what he does with this. And so he's saying, our spiritual eyes open to see that. And so the eyes of our heart enlightened. There were three things he said in the scripture he wants us to have. So we're not making this up. He said, look, I want you to have the hope. I want you to have the riches and I want you to have the power is greatness in us. Now just dwell on those for a second. We're going to talk about hope a little bit more, but are these tough days to have hope in every day and every moment of the day? I mean, is this, am I the only one that looks at things in a news flash and you see this and you see that and you go, wow, it's easy to fall into hopelessness, isn't it? And we'll talk about that. But God wants us to have hope because he's the God of hope. Second thing is the riches there is getting that right, what real riches, what real riches are in God's eyes, what it means to be rich in God's eyes. But the riches of his glory, right, and then the power of his. And I love this because he says this so clearly. It's the power of his greatness in us, right? He's not saying he'll make us great. He's saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit, his greatness will be in us. So he still gets the credit. He still gets the honor. He still gets the glory in that, doesn't he? And so when he says that, those three things. So when, you, when, you, when we know that God opens the eyes of our hearts, and, and let me just caution you on this. This is an ongoing process. You know, I, I, it would be great if I could look at each one of you and say, you know, if you'll just listen to this message, go home and listen to it again. Boom, God's going to take care of this for you. Your eyes are going to be permanently opened. You'll see everything clear. Everything's going to be great. You know what? This is just a daily ongoing process for me. That that process of, you know, and I think of it as, you know, in the morning I wake up and I'm, I'm at that point that it takes me a little while, crazy enough, that to, just to get good focus. It just does. That's how my eyes are functioning now. And it takes me a while, and we have, you know, where I go in the other room to start my reading and stuff and try to do it quietly so I don't wake up my wife like today at 4.30 when God woke me up, and I don't know why I do. I was praying for the church, and I was praying for all of us, but I do know why he woke me up. But it took me a while to get my eyes to adjust. It took me a while that we can say, well, the sleep in your eyes. This is a daily process. And if it's that way physically for me, I also know that it's that way spiritually for me. That there are times that spiritually 
throughout the day, I have to ask God to open my eyes again. Would you just let me see this with your eyes, Father? And that's what I need in this process. But when this happens, here's the two things for me. We see ourselves and we see everything around us differently than we've ever seen it before. This part about seeing yourself differently, God wants you to see yourself different than you were before you knew Jesus. It makes sense, doesn't it? God wants you to see yourself with all the things that he's talking about here, the greatness of him that is in you. God wants you to see the beauty that is in you. God wants you to see the gifts that are in you. God wants you to see that. And you know, it's back in the 60s. Some of you don't know anything about the 60s. You can talk to me about it, right? I actually grew up in the 50s too. But I read a book back then, it was called Psycho-Cybernetics by a guy named Dr. Maxwell Maltz. Don't get thrown off by the, the title and thinking, oh, here we go with new age, it's not it. It was the fact that he was a plastic surgeon. And back in the 60s, he realized that there was how, we, how people thought others saw them and all of this, but the guiding factor of how people would respond in life was how they saw themselves. That was it. There were two stories in there that, that I remember. There was more, but two. One of them was a salesman who saw himself as ugly, and he had a disfigured face and so forth. And he could just be mediocre as a salesman because somebody as ugly as him, he said, could only be average as a salesman. And what happened was Dr. Maul, and he said, you know, if he started off real slow, he would zoom at the end, but he'd be average at the end. If he started off real high, something would happen, he'd get sick, he'd be average at the end of the year. And he said, that's because someone like me cannot be a salesman at that top level because look at me. Well, he did the plastic surgery on him, took the bandages off, and the guy looked at himself and his eyes just lit up. And the guy said, now I can be a salesman. And the following year, he led the company. Just how he saw himself. Now, I want to suggest to you, I don't think the gifts inside of him and his sales abilities were any different. You know, it was different how he saw himself. Through, for me, spiritually, when I talk about seeing yourself through the eyes of your heart, is to see yourself as God created you. Then there was another story. It was a young lady there. She had a crook in her nose and um, plastic surgery takes the bandages off, gorgeous, except she looked in the mirror and she said, it's still there. He goes, no, it's, it's not. I, I took it out. She said, no, it's, it's still there. I can see it. He said, no, you, you can't see it. I can show you the cartilage in the bone in a jar that I removed to make your nose literally perfect. And here was her statement. You may not be able to see it, but I can, and it's still there. You see, that's what we get, is that impression of ourselves that we've allowed the world to tell us what we are, and we don't see with the opening of the eyes of our heart who God created us to be and how we look. And I think one of the first things God wants you to get when he opens the eyes of our heart, he says, God doesn't make any junk. There's not a piece of junk sitting in this church or anywhere. You are all beautiful and amazing creation of God the Father himself. Whether you're sitting here and you're single, whether you're sitting here with your family, whether you're sitting here in a transport chair, you are absolutely gorgeous in the eyes of God. And I want you to know you are too. And I want to thank you for being here. 
And, you know, that's the thing. So we see ourselves and we see the world around us so differently. I want to give you some things here that happens, I believe, when we actually have the eyes of our hearts open. The very thing, first thing we see is we see ourselves as sons and daughters of the king. You know, that's a real tough thing. And I think even in, you know, you walk in faith. And I had a, it was actually my little brother that's in heaven. And I made a statement. I was speaking and he was there. And I said, saints, and we got all through. And he says, I just struggle with that. You know, that, that term calling me a saint. And I said, what does God call you? He calls you a son and he calls your wife a daughter. And he says, we're his saints. That's what we do, right? You don't need a church someplace to, you know, with smoke and this and that and whatever. Say you're saints, right? That's what God created you to be. And so it's that struggle with identity, right? And I was, a, I was in a, you've heard me say, I was part of Promise Keepers, Billy and I, when we first moved here in 1994, we started on staff at Promise Keepers, 1994 to 1997. And you know, it's so easy to identify you with the terms and the titles of the world. We get trapped in that, don't we? And here I was in vocational ministry, pause, time out, you need to get something clear. I serve as a pastor here and in a ministry. I'm an ordained minister, but I'm in vocational ministry. What that means is my tent building is what I get to do. But every one of you sitting here who call the name of Jesus Christ, who know him as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You're in full-time ministry. And so when you hear me say full-time ministry, that's all of us. This is the family. We're in full-time ministry. We're representing our God and our God who is the father in the, in the business, right? So in vocational, so in 1994, Billy and I were in vocational ministry. We started then coming out of the military. And, you know, it took about a year and a half. People say, well, Chuck, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a regional director over the South Central region, and I'm married to Billy, and I'm the, you know, you go through this. And God had to kind of sit me down, and it took a process. I wish I could say, oh, yeah, man, the light came on, and I just changed. There's not a lot in my life that's happened that way. It's been a journey all the way through on so much of this. But at the same time, there was this realization to say, but Chuck, who are you? Who are you? And I can tell you now, I'm Chuck Stecker. I'm a blood-bought child of the living God who's been adopted by the king into the royal family as one of his very own sons. That's who I am. I am Chuck Stecker. I am a blood-bought child of the living God. I've been adopted into the royal family by the king as one of his sons. But Christy, you were adopted as one of his daughters the same way. You were adopted. You were adopted as one of his sons. We could go with every person sitting in here who knows the name of Jesus and calls it out. You've already been adopted into the royal family. But you see, when the eyes of your hearts are open, right, on this, when the eyes of your hearts are open, he says in 2 Corinthians, he says, I will be a father to you. That's about as clear as it gets, isn't it? And then he says, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. <laughs> Pretty well a done deal, isn't it? We are adopted into the royal family. And even the, the scripture tells us that our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. We can't help it. Our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. The second thing is, is that we see beauty in the mundane. I uh, had a pastor friend, and we were just talking about this, and it was this idea that to look at what the world would say, it's just mundane, this and that. 
We, as God's children, we see the beauty in it because we know the creator that put it there. And so when you read the scriptures on this, and I love this one, this is in Luke, but he says, consider the lilies. You got that? How they grow. They're neither, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so this is, he's taking the, the lily, a flower, a simple flower, and he says, even the wisest of all men could put on all the robes and the jewels and everything else, and he wasn't as beautiful as this one flower because we know who created it, don't we? And so when we look at that, and he tells us that, when the, the next thing is is that when we have our eyes open, we see the extraordinary in the ordinary. Listen to the scripture that God gives us in Isaiah. Therefore... I will again. Okay, pause. There are certain things I've told you, you know, like that part where if it's got faith and I got to have love, even though it's difficult, here's another one. Therefore, I will again. When you hear the word again, means he's done it before, right? So what God's saying is, I've already done this thing over and over and over again. And listen, I know I'm just going to do it again for you, right? You ever have somebody teaching you something? Or if you've had children or been a child, I don't know who all that affects, but you know, we're all in that group somewhere probably. And you say, okay, let me just show it to you again. I've showed it to you before, but let me show it to you again. And there's that part of it that says, I love you so much. I really want you to get this. And I want you to take a moment and I'm going to show it to you again. So he says, I'll do it again. Here you go. Just strap in, put your tray table up and your seat back in the upright. Hang on. I will do it again. Amazing things for these people. Now, pause. Who are these people? Right here we are. It's who God's talking to. And I've shared this with you before. My Kentucky wife, you know, you learn things about the South. Y'all is singular. All y'alls is plural. So if you're reading a Southern Bible, it would say, you know, therefore, I will do it again, all these amazing things for all y'alls. Got it? That's for all of us. With absolutely extraordinary deed. Now, get this part here. Wise men will have nothing to say. The sages will have no explanation. That's the extraordinary that we see in the ordinary and, unfortunately, in the world that we live in. And, and unfortunately, so much of this is, is that what happens is, is we like to take the extraordinary, and we want to explain it in the simplest of terms to make it ordinary. Why can't we just leave the extraordinary things of God extraordinary? There's a thought, isn't it? That when we see the extraordinary things of God, you know, I was a, <laughs> I haven't shared this, this is a long, long time ago. I was actually an umpire. I actually had the suit and all of that stuff, the works, umpired, fast pitch, slow pitch, baseball, and when you're an umpire, people say, how do you do it? And I said, it's real simple. I just calls them as I sees them. I think a lot of this is with God. I think we need to get to that umpire thing and kind of go, how do you see the extraordinary and the ordinary? I said, why don't you just calls them as you sees them? And when you sees them as extraordinary, just call them that. It's just that simple. The next thing that we get here is, and I don't know who this is for. And I, I just tell you as I go through, I know there's a lot of points on this. And I was praying over this and going, you know, really good speakers have like one message, three points, take that home and write it down. And you're not getting that today, okay? So make your own judgment. But here's what I felt God was telling me. As we talk about each one of these points, I, I don't know who they're for. But God kind of gave me the assurance at 4.30 this morning, Chuck, you throw them out, I'll take care of the rest. 
You just put them out there. I'll make sure whoever they're for, they get it. That's not your responsibility. So here I am, okay? So I don't know on this, but here's the next one. When we have our eyes opened, we see hope where there's hopelessness. When you feel hopeless, your eyes are opened to this incredible God, and we see hope. Billy and I have talked about it before with certain things, and we, there are things that have gone on. We look at it, but she and I, and she repeats it to me, she says, I don't know how people get through this and have hope if they don't have Jesus. I, I don't know how they do. And I said, well, I know how I tried years ago, thinking I was all that in a bag of chips. But believe me, I didn't have anything together then. And it's this idea that the God of hope gives us hope when for everyone else it seems hopeless. You know, the next thing here is, and it goes right with that in my mind. But let me go back and get this. I, <laughs> the scripture for this comes out of Job for hope. Now, I don't know about you. Job isn't the book of the Bible I go to to find hope. Anybody with me on that? Say, man, you just need hope. Why don't we study the book of Job together? Okay, the storm came, killed all his kids, killed all his livestock. His friends turned on him and all of this, and Job just goes through with sores on his body. He's scraping them on and put a, there is some hope for you. How about that? Love that book. But here's the point. When you read something about a man that's going through all of that, and God uses that as an example to speak to us about hope. I mean, you got to remember all that stuff happened to Job. There's a, there's a part of Job, chapter 38. You know, all of his friends convinced him that their lives are great. Oh, yeah, our lives are great. This is a problem you have with God. You need to go talk to God and figure this out. If your friends tell you that, instead of telling you they're praying for you and that, Maybe there's a check in your spirit. So he does this. He goes to God. And I love this, how it starts off in chapter 38. And God says to him, who is this man that comes to me with these silly questions? And then he kind of goes, now, before you ask me any questions, let me ask you a few questions. But then here comes the really good part. Guys, men, this might just be for us, those first few, because he says this. After he says, I'll listen to your questions. After you listen to my questions, but then he says this, so guys, brace yourself like a man. That's what God tells him. He says, sure, I'll answer your questions. And then you kind of see God going, okay, but brace yourself like a man. I kind of read that periodically going, okay, here we go. But it's that, and then he goes through the whole history. And he says, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? And you get a great history of the world up until that point, right? But here's what he says in the book of Job, chapter 11. He says this, you will be secure because there is, look at that word, you ready? In the midst of everything going on with Job, his kids all died. He lost everything, everything he had on earth. There is hope. You will look about you and you will take rest in your safety. You will lie down and no one will make you afraid and many will court your favor. And there's a promise, isn't it? But it's based on what? His obedience, right, to God's word, trusting God's word, seeing with the eyes of his heart. The next thing here is when we have our eyes open, we see power for the powerless. You know, this, this idea of having power, understand, God tells us we have power, but it's his power. It's not our strength. I can tell you so many times, people say, how'd you get through that? And I said, it wasn't under my strength. That's for sure. 
okay? And that we need the power that God has that he says, and he promises this, he tells us. And there's two places in this thing. When he talks about this power that he has, he says in Colossians, being strengthened, right, with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have endurance and patience. Okay, now I just want to caution you on something. You ready? And again, this is one of those that, you know, sometimes these are just for me and you just to get, come and get to listen to me talking to myself. Isn't it great to pray for God to give you power? Because he gives it to you, right? Yeah, well, read the rest of that so that we have endurance and patience. Sometimes the power that he gives us to get through the situation we're in might not get resolved today for you. But the biggest part of his power might be the endurance and the patience that God gives you with his power that gets you through this to see the victory on the other side. And so the other thing here is for me, we see victory when others see defeat. You know, at the very first of this, one of those, when others see the battle, I see my victory. That's what he's saying right here at the very beginning. Remember those words. When others see the battle, I see the victory that God's given me. And there's two scriptures in here that just jump out for me. In 2 Corinthians, we'll do Old Testament, New Testament. Remember, it's a big book. Let's use the whole thing. He says in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you. Get that part. He doesn't go before you. He doesn't destroy all of everything in front of you. And that, in some cases, sometimes you have to be in the midst of the battle to see the victory. It's not going to be sitting as an armchair quarterback talking about why the team lost and they didn't hear you coaching them from your living room sitting there, you know, but he's going to be with you in the battle and that's where you're going to see. So he says, for the Lord God, he goes with you to fight, you, fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. But one of my favorite ones and this really spoke to me for different reasons. It comes out of 2 Kings, and we know the story here. Elisha is there with his servant, and they're going into battle and now surrounded by all of the, I just call them all the ites. You know, we had all of the, the, all of the different ites, you know, in the Old Testament fighting there. But his servant didn't see it. He was scared. He says, how are we going to do this? We, we can't do this. We are completely, you know, over there. And then Elisha prayed. 2 Kings 6.17, he says, and Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's my takeaway on this. And again, there was so much in just looking at this. But get this part here. When Elisha's servant didn't see with his eyes open, Elisha didn't chastise him, right, about his lack of faith or maybe he didn't do his devotion for that day. Or maybe, you know, he had missed one of the prayer sessions. No, 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 no. And you know, folks, we got to be really careful because it's easy to bring judgment and say, well, you know, I'm doing everything right over here. My life is right. My friend over here, of course it's not. They're not going to church, not, you know. But what Elisha prayed for was that God would open the eyes of his servant. So he didn't pray directly for his servant. God, would you make him think and see the way I think and see because then I'm right? Would you ask, it was this Lord, would you open the eyes of his heart to see things the way you see it, Lord? And God did that for him. Now, where are we at at Summit Church? We got a lot of things going on at Summit Church. 
And I want to encourage you in a couple of things. One is, in a moment, we're going to go into a response time, and I'll kind of guide you with some of the opportunities there. But I want to encourage you that in this season at Summit, this church is exploding with opportunities for you to grow in your faith. If you're one of our young adult leaders here, and I guess Jordan mentioned the 25 and up, he's having a meeting at 1230. Would love to have you stay for that. Because here's what I'll tell you. Just coming on Sunday isn't enough just for me. And I know the guy that preaches on these Sundays, it's not enough for you either. We need community. We need each other. We need growth tracks that we choose, and some of you are all at a different place. So whether it's in the young adult and that leadership track, there's still plenty of time in our small groups. All of it's out there, and it's available for you. Sometimes it's just prayer partners and be with but we were not meant to do this alone. And if you came today in your eyes, just being opened up to saying, I need some more people around me. I need to have folks here, you know, that I can do life with because that's what's gonna keep me strong in that. Then I want you to know Summit Church is here for you. We're gonna go into this series on how we're gonna to grow together, how we're gonna grow and be spiritually, fully devoted, spiritually maturing followers of Christ. What does the church look like? But let me just tell you, we need each other through all of this, okay? Let me tell you about our response time. The most important time we've got is right now. It's because our prayer for you at Summit Church is not that we provide you all of the answers, but we create a safe place for you to ask the questions for yourself that only God can answer for you. There's a number of ways to do that. On each side, you'll see our prayer partners are there. There's chairs behind where you can just ask them to sit down and pray with you, or they'll stand there. There's communion on both sides there. Whether you want somebody to help you with that, or you would like to just do that on your own and step away and take communion, that's available for you. It was meant for a personal thing, you know, for us to do. And then there's the cross. You'll see there's already some prayer concerns up there, prayer requests, and maybe some praises. Here's what I want to tell you. That cross is always going to be present in this church. You're going to know the reason why we can claim the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There's a hammer and nails. You can pound in and say it is finished because that's what Christ said on the cross. We want you to know that's available and you're not limited to one. If for you to respond is to walk back in a corner, is to get away, I, I don't know, but I know this. The heart that we have for you here is for you to have a safe place to respond to whatever God is telling you personally. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you, Lord. We really just come humbly before you as our Father that loves us so much. I thank you for this time that you've given us together, Father. I thank you for those that are online with us, those that are here, that have carved out this time. I pray, Father, that of all the things that were said, that, Father, you, through the Holy Spirit, guide to the hearts of each person here. So whatever part of this was for them, that's between you and them. But I trust you, Father, absolutely trust you and love you. So Father, I thank you now as we respond. Guide us, Father, guide us, that maybe we're safe enough to ask the questions that only you can answer for us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all of God's family said, amen.